Welcome to this Saturday special bonus 11th and concluding daily devotional in our series on the parables of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. I, I just couldn't resist one more for the week. I love these so much. Uh, we're continuing on uh, in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. While they were still listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten miners. A miner is about three months' wages, so roughly about eight or ten thousand dollars. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and they sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Let's call this first part of the parable the setup. We already know what the passage is about because Luke has told us about the audience. That is, is this going to be part of the interpretive key? Jesus and his disciples are nearing the conclusion of their road trip to Jerusalem. The disciples and the crowd are expecting a big climax, a big confrontation perhaps some kind of revolution leading to the immediate establishment of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus tells this parable to reshape their expectations. There is going to be some kind of delay in the arrival of the kingdom of God. Already on this road trip, Jesus has taught his disciples three times that he will be rejected and crucified in Jerusalem before he is resurrected. This message just simply hasn't been understood, which I guess shouldn't really surprise us. So this parable of the nobleman going away before returning in royal power is spoken to reshape the expectations of Jesus' disciples. Just as an aside, this story would sound very, very familiar to many in Jesus' audience. You see, it sounds just like the stories of various members of the Herodian family who went to Rome to ask for and to get validation of power over their realms. Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, went to Rome in 4 BC to have his father's will confirmed, by which he was to be the successor of it all. Uh, but an embassy of Jews followed close on his heels with a protest to the emperor. We don't want this man to be our king, they said. And as a result, Caesar Augustus severely limited his powers. Who knows what that delegation of Jews faced when they and Archelaus got home again. Hmm. Let's turn now to the second part of Jesus' parable. Verse 15, second half. Then he sent for the servants whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, 
I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. I tell you this, such that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now it's a bit of a shocking finish to the parable, and perhaps it simply reflects something that might well have happened under the rule of King Herod or of Herod's children. Now, certainly Jesus is not endorsing the behaviour, and since this is a parable, it's not an allegory, we don't need to equate all of the details in the story with real-life people or, or actions. The king does not have to represent God for the singular point of the parable to be made and made well. So the first part of the parable establishes Jesus' point that there's going to be a delay before the arrival of the kingdom of God, then the nobleman going away before returning in royal power aims to reshape the expectations of Jesus' disciples. The second part of the parable now is going to be, well, it's, this is what the disciples need to do in the meantime while they wait for the return of their master. And the key idea of the whole parable is, of course, stewardship. That's the singular point of the parable. And as a master storyteller, Jesus has built a scenario in three parts. In the first two cases establish the pattern, and then the third case breaks the pattern, generally leading to the point of the parable. I've previously called this the three little pigs model of storytelling. Jesus uses it a lot. The first two servants establish the pattern of good stewardship being handsomely report, rewarded with promotion in the kingdom. Uh, their entrepreneurial stewardship is held up actually as a model to be replicated. But the third case is the servant who was afraid of his master, who did not do what his master asked at all, who hid the money away so that he wouldn't lose it. Mind you, just looking at what the third servant actually tells his master, I do wonder how afraid he really was when he says to his master's face, you are a hard man and you rip people off by taking out what you didn't put in and reap what you didn't sow. So I do wonder about that excuse. Regardless, though, the judgment of this servant, uh, well, it's swift and it's comprehensive. And so the third servant serves as a warning the parable tells us not to waste opportunities afforded to us in this time of waiting before Jesus returned to rule. And if servants in the parable should serve a tyrant master diligently, how much more a good master like Jesus? Uh, we could well insert ourselves into the parable as servants that have been entrusted with our master's resources. And if we were to do that, can I suggest a little bit of an exercise that you might want to do on the back of this parable? Take a little while, but maybe a good thing to do in your journal before you pray it through. Step one, make an inventory of all that Jesus has entrusted to you while he is away. Uh, what abilities and talents do you have which you can put to use for the kingdom? 
What spiritual gifts do you have? You write those down. <clears throat> and then step two, what opportunities do you see before you? Uh, in what way might you advance the interests of Jesus? I know we live in an unusual times of pandemic, and, and yet even now there are new and different opportunities arising because of this. What scope, what options, what possibilities do you have to grow the kingdom? Brainstorm for a while, right? There is no such thing as a bad idea when you're brainstorming. Third, how could you use what you've got to make the best of the opportunities in front of you? Don't try and do them all. Just figure out which one do you think is the best and give it a go. And if that doesn't work, that's fine. Move on to the next one. So looking back on this parable in Luke, we're encouraged to adopt an entrepreneurial mindset when it comes to this time in between Jesus' ascension and his return to us to rule. Let's make the most of it. Let's be great stewards. Rather than being constrained by fear, let's take our courage and make the most of each day. Make them count.